figuring out what is their email address that you have to get that. And I've never not been able to find it. It's you can find someone's email address. You can figure out who is the editor of the section of the magazine or the newspaper that you want. And then that's where you start. You should send the pitch there. And then you have to remember that they're getting so much email. Like editors are so inundated. Like it's absolutely insane, especially if you're writing to someone at like the Washington Post, you know, they're getting slammed. So, you know, the way that you structure and write the email, your subject line, super important, what you put in the email, all of that, you know, there's a certain way to do it depending on the place that you're writing, the person you're writing, you know, the section you wanting it to be. And so there's a lot you can learn about how to do that in a way that catches their attention. Landing freelance clients really comes down to so much more than just your writing ability. It's really about the way you market yourself and your online reputation. If you have social proof like testimonials or logos on your website, it's going to be so much easier for you to land higher paying clients and get those yeses that you're looking for. That's why I'm so excited to have on Erica from Pitch and Publish. She mentors writers on how to get bylines in notable publications like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, any publication that's going to build a reputation and give you that clout that will help clients see and understand your value. You know I talk about cold pitching a lot on this channel, so this segues really nicely into what I teach, which is just customizing your pitch, understanding where these editors are hanging out and how to target them. I fast forwarded the release of this episode because Erica is running a free workshop about how to actually turn your ideas into these paid pieces that build so much credibility in your writing niche, which you're not going to want to miss. It's on January 30th if you are watching this in real time. So I have the link to that down below. And if you're watching this after that, you can still check Erica out because I have her stuff listed below. Let's just jump right in. Tell me about yourself and the type of writing you do and how you got into all of this. Yeah, definitely. Well, my name is Erica. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I am a freelance writer. I have two kids, and so I'm a working mom. I'm very multi-passionate, do lots of things, but I have always loved writing. So it started there in childhood, and then I majored in journalism in college. And I've always worked in communications, you know, something related to that. But it wasn't until probably four years ago or so that I really broke into freelance writing and a freelance business. And I've been running my own business now for about three years. And then I started a newer side business to my own freelance writing, sort of like you do probably, Christine, which is called Pitch and Publish, where I am training people to learn how to become paid writers. And specifically, one of the things I focus on is actually getting published in reputable publications, magazines, newspapers. And so it's a little bit different than just your basic freelance writing tips. And I think that's so key for two reasons. So my course also focuses on pitching, but directly on LinkedIn for a certain type of freelance writing client, probably mostly SEO blog work. I think pitching is one of the hardest parts for anyone who wants to become a writer. And it's the most critical skill you could master in order to become successful. But then there's that other piece where if you're able to get a reputable name or a logo on your website, it does so much of the selling for you which is amazing for writers because I think a lot of us are introverted and don't really like to sell ourselves. So Tell me a little bit about that and the value of getting notable publications in your portfolio and why pitching is so important. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with notable publications, if you're thinking something like the New York Times or, you know, Glamour Magazine, something like that, a lot of those, what you'll note is that they actually aren't the best people. You're not going to get paid the most there. You know, it's not B2B. It's not that world, but there's something, there's like a greater value to being published there. Like you say, it kind of helps sell you in other ways. And so for people that are looking to become even, you know, thought leaders, or perhaps there's an issue that they really care about. You know, I know people from like nonprofits or even the political world or, you know, whatever it is that you care about. If you can get your work into one of these places, you can say that to so many more people. And then to boot, it gives you this extra reputation of, well, she's been published in the New York Times. And that's very impressive for a whole variety of reasons. And people may not even care what you published in the New York Times. And so, but there is a very particular way that you need to learn how to pitch something or you're never going to even have a shot. And I started doing about four years ago where I was really working on getting my name out into some of these places. And I had a lot of lessons to learn in terms of how to do it well. But once I learned them, I, I realized, wow, anyone can get published. And it doesn't matter who you are because I wasn't important or famous, but I've been published in a bunch of places and it's all about how you pitch. And so now I want to teach other people how they can do that. What would you say is the key to getting those high profile publications to publish you? Is it a matter of personalizing your pitch? Like, I don't want you to give away all your secrets of your program because obviously you this, but what are some things that might blow people's mind or that they just didn't know? Well, you know, never, never submit anything to a submissions inbox for one. That may be obvious, but chances of anyone ever seeing that or your pitch ever seeing the light of day are very slim. But luckily, it's very easy to figure out who editors are. You just have to do a little online sleuthing, find the masthead of the newspaper or the magazine, find them on Twitter. I have a whole thing about how editors love Twitter. They love to hang out there. They love to talk about what they're doing and have their calls for pitches there. And so if you're not using Twitter, that is actually an amazing resource for freelance writers that want to get published in these places because for whatever reason, editors love that platform. And so I actually have like a one hour class on that if you're interested, but, but, but figuring out what is their email address that you have to get that. And I've never not been able to find it. It's you can find someone's email address. You can figure out who is the editor of the section of the magazine or the newspaper that you want. And then that's where you start. You send the pitch there. And then you have to remember that they're getting so much email. Like editors are so inundated. Like it's absolutely insane, especially if you're writing to someone at like the Washington Post, you know, they're getting slammed. So, you know, the way that you structure and write the email, your subject line, super important, what you put in the email. All of that, you know, there's a certain way to do it depending on the place that you're writing, the person you're writing, you know, the section you wanting it to be. And so there's a lot you can learn about how to do that in a way that catches their attention. And I can't emphasize enough to find out where your ideal clients are hanging out. Like for me personally, LinkedIn is so great for me because this is where marketing managers and CMOs and these content teams that hire writers, they are on LinkedIn. And like you said, with Twitter, they're posting about themselves, their thoughts, they're giving updates about their company. And it becomes this like arsenal we can use to personalize a pitch and understand what they care about. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
there's so many different types of freelance writing. There's copywriting, content writing, there's editorial. So I think the key is instead of thinking there's one amazing platform like Upwork or whatever, it's really to find out where your clients, your ideal clients hang out. I think like, that's what, what, what you're saying about editors is so true. Every, that's the thing. It's like, it's so dependent on the editor. Like it's not really, a, you know, the place that you're pitching It's about who is the editor? What do they care about? Cause writers, a lot of writers in the space that I'm talking about, it's like when their editor leaves, they're like so sad because they're like, oh, it's going to be so hard to like make friends with a new editor, but you form a relationship with people. And then you start to sort of understand what they like, how they work. And that's how you start getting re repetitive pieces. I, I published three times in the New York Times, always with the same person. They sort of start to get like what he's looking for and that kind of a thing. And so really understanding the mind of an editor and getting inside their brain a little bit can be really helpful for, you know, crafting the perfect pitch. And let's talk about getting a repeat work from clients. Cause I think this is one of the most, one of the next most underrated tactics on how to increase your freelance income. It's something I struggle with a lot because I sometimes feel guilty or I'm asking too much when asking clients to give me additional work. I have this like discomfort with it. And I know I need to stop thinking like that because I'm doing something that's helping their publication, their, their content strategy, but talk to me about how you deal with your clients to try to get repeat work and the value of doing that. Yeah. I would say, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of two different things. So it's like, I have my freelance clients that are my sort of, I have like anchor clients that I'm working with regularly. And then I have people that I've done more one-off work for. I would say with my anchor clients, I just did this actually. I have somebody I've been working with for about two years and it kind of got to the point where I was like, I really needed to get paid more. And so I finally, you know, I got it together and I, I asked for a pretty, I mean, and you're not supposed to say ask, you're supposed to say I charge, right? That's, that's what I'm learning in the freelance world. Like you don't ask, you don't work for that. You're a consultant type of person. But I think, you know, so many times as a freelancer, and you probably have this experience, you're working on something and you're like, oh, if they just had this thing, then this would work better. And then I could do my job better. But they don't have a person to do that. And so you're kind of like, well, I guess I could do it, but you have to, you know, you have to offer that and then you have to charge for it if they want you to do it. And so I think, yeah, we have to get out of this mindset that it's some kind of burden to ask for more, because if you weren't going to do it and you told them they needed it done, they'd just be looking for someone else. And so just recognizing how important your skills are and knowing that they, they want you to do it. You know, if you recognize a problem that they don't, then you're, you're solving a problem for them. Yeah. It's offering more value, making yourself more valuable to them and realizing that when you go in for that ask, or like you said, that tell of like, this is what I charge. I think one of the things that, cause my, whoever's listening to this right now is most likely a newer writer who is probably in their nine to five, maybe in a completely unrelated field and wants to transition to become a full-time self-employed freelance writer but I think the biggest obstacle is confidence. So can you talk to me a little bit about challenges you overcame or general tips about how you can become more confident? Yeah, I actually just sent out my weekly email to my list and I talked about five mistakes I made as an early freelancer. And the first thing I said was not having enough confidence and not believing that I could actually do it. I had one 
freelance client for years on the side of my regular job. And my dad, who's an entrepreneur would always say, oh, you just need to get about three or four more of those and you'll be good to go. And I'm like, no, there's no way I could ever do that. Yada, yada. And so I would think about it, but then I got too freaked out and would never do it. Well, it, it came, push came to shove. Ultimately, I was basically forced to start freelancing long story on a job thing, but I started started slowly. You know, I didn't over expect anything from myself, but as I began to seek out opportunities, I started to realize that there were a lot more than I realized and that everybody needs a writer or a digital strategist. That's a very in-demand job. And people are constantly looking for folks that can take on that work. That's very time consuming for them. But, you know, for me, I'm a very fast writer. I'm a quick thinker. Writing is easy for me. And so I had to realize actually writing isn't easy for everyone and not everyone can do what you do and you do have a special skill. And so I think slowly as I begin to gain new clients, you know, in that very slow way, I started to realize then all the opportunities that were there and then reputation begins to precede you as well. I would, a lot of my jobs are from um, referrals, people that have worked with me before that are like, oh yeah, Erica does that. You should get in touch with her. And so as you begin to do that, you sort of build this foundation underneath yourself and you begin to be more confident because you're like, oh, other people believe in me. I guess I should believe in myself. Tell me about creative ways to stay top of mind with your clients, because like you said, referrals come when the client's able to think, oh, Erica does that. Let's get her to do this. But sometimes it's difficult because they go to look for another writer, not knowing or remembering that you were able to do that service. What do you do to stay top of mind and keep Mm. yourself in front of your clients? Yeah. So I'm very active on social media. Like I said, I've always worked in the social media space really professionally before I did This, I used to work on Capitol Hill, training members of Congress on social media platforms and things like that. And so I just personally naturally love social media. And so I'm very active on Twitter. I'm very active on Facebook. I have, I do have an email list. I have actually two email lists, one for my pitch and publish. And then I have another one that goes out to my audience. That's more sort of in, in my author space. I've, I have nonfiction books that are kind of unrelated to this, but you know, even in those spaces, there are people that are doing things where they might need you to be a writer. And so I am very consistent about showing up. I have, I do regularly post to LinkedIn with the, you know, intention of making sure that people are remembering that I'm there because I know when people are looking for workers, they're going to be on LinkedIn. I know LinkedIn is your thing, really big thing. And I, I need to do more of it, but yeah, I'm very consistent on all platforms for the most part. And I also will just check in with people. Sometimes I'm, I'm pretty engaging, like say on Instagram or something or Twitter, maybe it has nothing to do with work, but I will comment. Or if I'm like, Oh, I want that person to kind of like, remember me. And maybe I'll be like, Oh, that's a great picture or whatever. But it's like, even those little things help people remember that you're there. And so that's just sort of a natural thing that I do. Yeah. I like those tactics because having a content strategy and posting regularly on social media, isn't always possible for every single writer. Would you say that you have a like fleshed out content strategy? Are you just posting what comes to mind? Are you posting informational content? What's your strategy with social media? Yeah, I I don't have like in terms of what I was saying, the engagement piece definitely don't. I don't like really schedule a whole lot out. I did just have my book launch. So I did schedule a few things for that. So I wasn't like completely going crazy. 
But for Pitch and Publish, my company, I don't plan super far out in advance. I do sometimes batch reels. So I'll, I'll, you know, record like five or six reels at a time so that I have them to sort of spread out. But a lot of times I'm, I'm, a, I'm sort of a spur of the moment creative. Like I, you know, I love to just sort of create like the post I put up today, which is like five personal essays. You can sell ideas for personal essays. You can sell. Like, I just kind of got up this morning and was like, Hmm, what should I do a post about? And then I put that together. So I am a lot sort of on the spot there, but occasionally I will sit down and say like, okay, I'm going to plan out a few and I'll just do them. But I don't have like a very super long strategy where I'm like, you know, planning everything two months in advance. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Cause I think that's what intimidates a lot of writers. Like if I'm going to start posting on social media, what do I post and at what frequency and stuff like that. So what advice would you give to writers who just don't really know what to post? Well, you know, a friend of mine, she has a great account. Shannon McKinstry is her name. She, she was just put out this post the other day and she was like, I have your next five pieces of content for you and you've already done them. And she's like, well, what do you mean? She's like, you go back to like your most popular pieces of content in the past two or three years and you repurpose them. And I am the queen of repurposing. So if I have a reel, I take that reel, I put it on TikTok, I put it on YouTube shorts, I turn that information into a blog post, maybe I put it in an email, maybe I take that information, those five tips and put them into an Instagram post. There's so much you can do with repurposing. Like I don't even have time to do it. Like I, the thing I sent out today, the five things that I, what did it, what was it? It was five things I did wrong in my freelancing career. Like I, I wrote that, then I made a reel of it. Then I want to make it a blog post, but I like, just literally don't have time. (laughs) So I don't know if I will, but so much you can do with one piece of content And it's okay to do that because different eyeballs are on different platforms and you're reaching different people. Yeah. We think that if we repost something, someone will automatically know that like, oh, I've already seen you talk about this, but it's like the internet is so noisy and saturated that the odds of them remembering it are, or seeing it even are really low. (laughs) Right. Yep, exactly. So repurposing and, you know, like I'm a huge advocate of the brainstorm. People do not take time to just sit down and brainstorm, brainstorm five ideas, take those five ideas, you know, and then think of three, you know, things that you could talk about for each idea. And then the next thing, you know, you have 15 ideas and that could take you 20 minutes. It's just a matter of really taking that intentional time to consider it. And then having a bank to pull from when you're ready to create. Totally. Tell me about your program and the writers who are a good fit for your program. Yeah. You know, I was, I was thinking the other day, like, should I target it at, you know, more beginners or intermediate, but I think it's actually for like, for me, I created my program, which is called Bragworthy bylines, get paid and published. I created it because it was basically what I would have wanted four years ago, four or five years ago when I was just getting into pitching. And I felt so I had no idea what I was doing. And I was sending these horrible pitches. And had I seen this course, I would have been like, first one, you don't have to wait till the deadline for me. And so I was like, I want people to understand that they can do this. And so what the course is, is deep diving into pitching and talking and teaching people, how do you do a cold pitch? How do you do a warm pitch? What's the difference? What does a good pitch entail? What does a good story entail? A good angle? Because a big part of pitching and landing a story or landing a byline is like, how are you 
bringing a unique story idea or angle to these editors so that they're going to be intrigued enough to let you write it. And so there is sort of an art to how you, you figure out what those story ideas or opinions are. But like I was saying earlier, each person had, or maybe I was saying this somewhere else. I said it sometime today, you, nobody has your unique story. No one has your unique experience or voice. And so there's always space for you. And the great thing is that editors, they need you. They want to find these awesome, unique stories and voices, but if you can't package it in the right way, you're not going to get anywhere. And so I just want to teach people, how do you package up these ideas in a way that's going to perk up their ears? That's going to you know, get you to the top of the inbox. And then I also talk in the course about getting paid for those things and building out a larger freelance writing portfolio beyond just the bylines. I get into just getting regular clients and having an, a regular income and working towards full-time freelance writing. Is it more like journalistic articles? Is it SEO content? Or are you open to kind of all types of online writing in general? Well, I would say I have definitely have a specialty in opinion writing and essay writing, which is actually, I would say, some of the easiest way to break into the writing space and, and get into some of these major publications because that's the personal stuff that no one else can write because it's you. And so I do have a particular focus on that. Um, but I also, you know, talk with people about some of the other kinds of writings that's available, whether that be copywriting or even social media management, even getting into that kind of writing stuff, because that's what I do as well. But I, I would say we do, we do keep a heavy focus on getting those bylines and, you know, being able to get your message out there and write on the regular and get paid for it. And how do you structure your courses helping students get clear on, like, do you advise that writers choose a niche or a specialty or? Yeah. So I wouldn't say we get super into the niche conversation, but what I will say, and people ask me this a lot, like everything else, like, yes, it is good to have a niche. Not only People will think of you more, more quickly when they know that you write about something. So for example, I've had multiple editors come to me in the past to say, Hey, we've got, we need something on this. Do you think you could write it? Because they know I've written on that in the past. And that's the dream, right? To have someone come to you and ask you to do something. Like I get like a total high from them. I'm like, Oh my gosh, yes, of course. You know? And so you can't really become that person if you don't have, if you don't become known for focusing on something. But in addition to that, when you have a niche, it actually becomes a lot easier to write about that topic and come up with unique ideas because you're so educated and you're so inundated in that world. You know, you start to know people, you start to be very familiar with the data and the stories and the trends. And so then it just becomes easier to form an opinion or to form a story idea because you are so educated in that subject matter. And so it makes your writing faster and better when you do have a niche. But I also think, you know, don't shut yourself off from other topics as well. Like I've written a, like a span of things, like everything from, you know, like an immigration issue to alcohol. So that's the great thing is that like, there really are no barriers. That's awesome. Okay. Well tell everyone where they can find you and find out more about Pitch and Publish. Yeah. So you can find me on social media on Instagram at pitch and publish. And my website is pitchandpublish.co. My class, Bragworthy Bylines. I'm, I don't know when you're going to publish this episode. I have a free class coming up on 
Monday, January 30th, brainstorm to brilliant, turn your writing ideas into paid pieces in 2023. And that's going to be the lead up to the February launch of Ragworthy Bylines. But I would love to have new people join. It's a lot of fun. We do group coaching. I edit all of your pitches and really work very closely and personally with you to make sure that you are sending out awesome pitches. And hopefully we land you a byline within, you know, six weeks or so of joining the program. Okay. That's awesome. And I'm going to make sure that I do push this out before the 30th, because I think those like free challenges or introductions and ability to interact with you and see what you offer are just so key. And I'll definitely be there as well. I did see you post about, uh, about that as well. Writing ideas into paid pieces in 2023. And the link for that, if you go onto my Instagram, it's like on the main highlight, you can get it right there. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Erica. And I look forward to attending your class and I know everyone's going to get a ton of value. So thank you so much. Thank you.